Jeannie Flavelle's Hot Commodity Podcast Series. Empowering clients with commercial intelligence, supply chain expertise, and risk management solutions. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Mike Coughlin, President and CEO of McKinney Flavelle, and today is February 10th, 2023, and welcome to our Hot Commodity Podcast Series. Happy Friday to everybody out there. And I am joined by Jeffrey Rosinski, who I like to say is consultant to the stars. He is a man of, of many talents, and one of them is his expertise on commodity markets. Right, Jeffrey? Hello. Hey, Mike. Great to be with you. What an introduction, right? Yeah, the, yeah. What quite the introduction. And the Friday before Super Bowl weekend, just as I know, to everybody. We saved you to this moment because people oh. are driving home right now and they're getting excited because, you know, you're not too far away from the Philadelphia Eagles Stadium and you're probably an Eagles fan, I would imagine. Well, I'm going to, sp- I, I am an Eagles fan, but I'm going to spare you from my Fly Eagles Fly Fight song. So, okay, 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 good, 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 good. <laughs> I know there's a couple chief fans out there listening going, thank God. Thank God. Well, like, like, like your music, they have to pause their music as well. So, but you know, Jeffrey, I was thinking of saying something about the Super Bowl, but it's on both sides, right? So, if you're a Super Bowl uh, football fan in general, whether you're an Eagles fan or Chiefs fan, it's a great time. You get to spend time with family. You get to have some nice food. Maybe it's some drink, enjoy company, enjoy a good game, enjoy commercials, enjoy a halftime show. But you know what? There's another side. And the other side, Jeffrey, is that those that don't like football love the Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. Why do you think that is? Well, I, I love football, so I, I, I couldn't say. But I think from my wife's perspective – you know, you she she'll no longer be a football widow on the on the weekends. She'll 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 get me back as opposed to watching football on my my joy is watching college football on Saturdays. So unfortunately, we, there you go. We won't see any of that until the fall. So yeah, well, they get more time. But you know, during the Super Bowl, non football fans love it because nobody's on the street. They get they get carte blanche of getting anywhere they want to get go anywhere they want to go and they love it. Or you get the people who love watching the Super Bowl just for the advertisements, right? Just yeah. for the, the, the different ads on TV to see what uh, what's on. It should be a good game. Uh, and I'll remind everybody before we get started talking about Coco, which is what we're going to talk today with Jeffrey about, is a reminder our spring seminar, and Jeffrey will be there, on April 26th. You can register on our website at mckinney-flavelle.com. You can register in person or virtually. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing everybody there. The theme is movie awards. We're going to give out awards to all those great commodities. It's going to be a fun day of packed commercial intelligence, education, the whole nine yards. And uh, Jeffrey, we're looking forward to it. It's going to be a fun one day. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's shift over to cocoa and chocolate. And um, let's talk a little bit about what's happening there and some of your opinions on what might happen moving forward. Yeah, so I, I thought now would be a good time to kind of banter a little bit about current events and some of the things we've seen in the in the marketplace. The uh, the main crop is more than half over. We've only got another six, seven weeks maybe in the main crop. Um, so in no particular order, I'll tee these up and then we can kind of dissect them in whatever order you want to, Mike. Um, we could talk a little bit about a little bit about weather and the harmaton or the dry season. Yep. We could talk about the pace of arrivals we've witnessed in the uh, Ivory Coast in Ghana and talk about the latest S&D forecasts. Uh, we can kind of recap the fourth quarter grinds, which is the first quarter of the of the new crop. Um, if anyone you know missed one of our earlier um, podcasts on the uh, on the grinds and cocoa, 
Uh, and then lastly, some of the, uh, the continued investment we're seeing in Ivory Coast by you know, China and UAE in particular to increase grind capacity in origin. So, so where would you like to go? You know, I want to start with weather uh, because I do have some questions for you on that. But yes, okay. uh, I, you know, the Harmattan winds, those very interesting in how they impact uh, cocoa production in West Africa. So I want to start there. All right. So the Harmattan or, or what's you know referred to as the dry season across West Africa is when you get the sub-Saharan winds that come down off the, uh, the Sahara Desert and blow down th- across the Shahel region of West Africa, which is the cocoa growing belt. And it's been particularly harsh this year, so a mm. lot hotter and a lot drier than uh, than the earlier forecasts were predicting. And as a result, we've seen very, very dry conditions over the last two months. So much so mm. that I think a lot of people in the in the marketplace are now starting to grow concerned about the size of the crops and whether this dry weather will impact cocoa production for the tail of the main crops this year, and more importantly for the upcoming mid crops, which will start in another couple of months. Excellent. You know, you always hear about it and you read it. Uh, those that are close to cocoa, obviously, they're very in tune. But even those that aren't, they start hearing news reports about that. My question to you was, you know, we've been talking uh, as a group about this potential transition from uh, La Nina to El Nino conditions. And uh, just your take on that, because I, I, that does impact uh, cocoa growing regions as well. Yeah, I mean, the the connection is a little bit looser there than it is with other weather patterns we see in South America or Australia, but there's a, you know, generally considered to be a loose connection between La Nina or El Nino and the West African, you know, cocoa growing area. I I would say, generally speaking, La Nina is considered to be favorable for cocoa production and a flip into El Nino would be considered unfavorable. Uh, mm. Right now, we've seen La Nina or the cooling in the in the Central Pacific sort of start to start to wind down, and we're slowly heating up. We're we're by no you know stretch of, of the imagination right now in an in an El Nino phase right now at this point. But I think concerns are growing that we may see an El Nino, a return to an El Nino type event maybe later this year. Uh, we're mm. not we're not there yet, but you know I guess put it on your radar for something to circle right. circle back on in six to nine months perhaps. Yeah, and when we've had in in, in history and in, in when we've had a strong El Nino, I'm sure there's several factors that that ultimately uh, impact the cocoa production. But is is there a, a rule of thumb if uh, you develop a strong El Nino in the weather and how that percentage wise may impact uh, cocoa production? Yeah, I mean, good question, Mike. I think the thing that I would look more closely to would be what the, rather than looking at sea surface temperatures in the Pacific, which is mm. what, what people are doing when they're looking at either La Nino or El Nino, what I like to look at, especially when you get into the springtime months, May, June, July time period, is what are the sea surface temperatures doing in the Gulf of Guinea, which is just off the yeah. coast of West Africa? Because I think mm-hmm. the the connect the connection there is much firmer than something that's more you know kind of a global weather pattern in nature. And I think you can derive more out of the sea surface temperatures in the Gulf of Guinea concerning upwelling and convection and rainfall that may impact sure. the, co- the cocoa growing belt there. So. Um, not, I'm not to, that's not to say that El Nino is completely irrelevant. I'm just saying I think there are other factors that are more pressing or, or okay. you know, a higher priority in my book. Okay. Let's, let's shift over to grind because grind is, uh, you know, I'll let you explain it because it's, yeah. it's an indication of, of how the industry is doing, but not necessarily 
ultimate chocolate demand, right? Uh, I think you've mentioned in the past. So kind of give us a recap of what we've seen there and how it's impacting things. Yeah, well, well put, Mike. I listened to you. It's, it's definitely a precursor. So you obviously need to take your raw cocoa beans, you need to ferment them, you need to dry them, you need to export them, roast them, um, and then grind them and convert them into liquor and then ultimately press them into butter and cake. And then the cake has to then further be processed into powder. So obviously that's, you know, long lead times from, you know, I, I outlined a number of steps there, but from A to Z, you're talking six to nine months to go from raw beans and to finished products. So the grind is the precursor ultimately to, you know, the, what the forward demand for products for liquor, powder and butter are going to look like down the road. So I think they're, they're sort of like the, the, the leading indicators or the tea leaves that one looks at to determine whether demand for ultimately for chocolate and that space is growing flat or potentially contracting. So it's a, it's a, it's a great place to kind of get a kind of an advanced look of, of expectations. Okay, great. And, and uh, as we've, we've gone into Q4, um, what, what are you, what is your feeling towards all of that? Yeah, so um, the Q4, which was the Okno of D's time period of last year, and you may say, well, why are we looking at last year? And the reason is very simple, because we're matching it up on, on crop year as opposed to calendar year. Mm-hmm. And the, the crop year for cocoa is just like it is for a commodity that some of our other listeners may be very familiar with, like sugar or you know corn or any of the, the ag markets here in North America, where they run a statistical crop year from October of last year through September of this year. So that's why we we looked at that for, fourth quarter, and in a nutshell, it was uh, it was it was it was bad. Uh, there's you know there's no way to to say it otherwise. Uh, we're starting in negative territory across all the three major reporting regions. Europe was down 1.7 percent. Asia was flat to down a fraction of a percent. And most importantly for our listeners, North America was awful. It was down 8.1%. And um, specifically, it had the lowest or the worst quarter of grind from a volume perspective that we've witnessed since 2009. So we're very much starting wow. this. Yeah, we're starting this crop year in the hole or you know, mm-hmm. in, a, in the red. And we're going to have to fill that, you know, that void up before we can even kind of you know, get back to, you know, back to break even. So you know, grinds are the one thing that are going to help mitigate you know, the, the crops, if we end up with a little bit of a shortfall of production because of that dry weather that we, we talked about earlier with the harmaton. Yeah. And you, you, this is a time of year. I mean, you, you're going from the main crop to the mid crop. And I believe the time in between is called the silly season, which uh, is that right? Am I right to say that? Yeah, I mean the the, uh, the main crop will start winding down next month in uh, okay. in March, and the then you get a l- little bit of a pause in the month of April where, where not a lot is happening, and then you start to get the the, the mid crop flows coming in, um, really May forward, so so May okay. through the end of September, and the silly season kind of falls right in the right in the middle of that, so you're, okay. you're pretty much spot on. Okay, and and so uh, you know we've seen reports out there, and again, it's probably you would say er- too early to tell of whether it's going to be a deficit year or surplus year, but you're starting to hear reports about a deficit year of, you know, 70, 100,000 tons or something like that. Is it too early? And the second part of that question is what you just said with demand. So even if we have a deficit, is it something that, you know, buyers opt that Coke or future uh, prices? Is this something to be concerned about? Yeah. So in the last week or so, Mike, there was a Reuters poll that went out and I would say the, 
kind of the average of the respondent, you know, res- the responses coming back are most people are expecting a deficit of, you know, order of magnitude, 70,000 metric tons. Mm. Um, so it's the second year in a row of a deficit, although not as big as last year's deficit. And I think the most important thing is that sort of sets the expectation in the buyer's mind that if we are going to see second year of a deficit, maybe they get a little more aggressive or step up to the plate a little bit more earnestly right. uh, with their buying expectations. So, and, you know, I think the, the, most of the respondents to the poll see cocoa prices appreciating further this year. Um, the range is varied, but I would say on average, they're, they're saying about a five to maybe 7% increase in prices over the, uh, you know, over the balance of the, uh, of the crop year. Okay. If you look at the, the arrivals coming in, um, the one thing I, I would say is the buyers are already seeing the pace of the arrival starting to falter a little bit. Um, we were still up through February 5th. We were at 1.589 million metric tons for Ivory Coast. So we're still up 3.5% over prior year. But it's important to remember that, you know, just, you know, maybe a month or a month and a half ago, we were up double or triple that amount. So you mm-hmm. can see that we're starting to decelerate and people are attributing that deceleration of that slowdown in arrivals on, on the, the back of that dry weather with the harmaton. So people are already starting to shave their forecasts for, for production for the, uh, for the current season because of the impact of that, uh, of that dryness. Right. Wow. Wow. The other thing I was going to ask you about is you, um, you, you've seen this trend over time with more processing at origin for various reasons. Are we still seeing that? Is that is it? How is that? In, and if so, how is that impacting the industry? Yeah, I mean that's that's an interesting um, kind of point to kind of you know fin- finish this podcast on. When I saw the North American grind numbers um, for the fourth quarter, and I, I saw that they were the worst numbers we we witnessed in you know nearly fourteen years, going back to two thousand and nine it kind of prompted me to say, you know, to take a closer look at those statistics. Right. And I said, well, let's, well, let's take a look at the last decade. Um, let's look at what's hap- what's transpired over the last 10 years. 10 years ago, North America as a region was bigger than GPEX or the West African um, you know, region in terms of cocoa grind. But over the last 10 years, we've seen North American grind decrease by 11%. So we're contracting in this region on average about 1% a year. Comparatively, when you look at the GPEX stats or figures from, from West African origins, they again, 10 years ago, they were smaller than, than we were today. They're larger. Right. And they've grown by approximately 150,000 metric tons, or they're up 44% over that exact same 10-year time period. And so you, you see that continued fuel of growth and investment by these countries in Ghana, in Ivory Coast, to do origin processing. And in just the last couple of weeks, we saw an announcement um, where Ivory Coast is partnering with both China and UAE, United Arab Emirates, to add three new cocoa processing facilities with a combined grind ca- you know, capability or capacity of 220,000 metric tons. Wow. Now, now Ivory Coast's their stated goal is to definitely consume 50% of their beans produced in, in country. So that means rather, you know, they're focusing more on value added and converting those co- raw cocoa beans into a semi-finished value-added cocoa product that then they, they can then export the blocked butter and the powder and the cake and the liquor around the world. So you, you can see the uh, that that trend is some is likely something that will continue well into the future. Right, right. Yeah. I mean there's there's definitely a lot of advantages or ways to make value added for them, but also 
uh, if my memory serves me correctly, you're, you're, if you're shipping the beans around the world, you're shipping a lot of moisture and, and uh, byproduct that's just not necessarily needed, right? Yeah, you're, sh- you're shipping a lot of waste, a lot of you know, yield loss, a lot of shell, a lot you know, moisture. It's just more efficient for them to, you know, to export the semi-finished products um, you know, in, in terms of the value add. They're, they're also you know, upselling uh, a more expensive product, so it's better revenues for, you know, the, for the government in terms of tax receipts sure. and, and, you know, and jobs created in origin. So I, yeah. that's, that's a trend I think we're going to continue to see well into the future. More sustainable. I got it. More sustainable too, Jeffrey. There you go. The key word. Lastly, uh, uh, unless you had other topics, I wanted to ask you your opinion on uh, the cocoa futures market. Um, oh. There's a lot of, <laughs> uh, you know, there's a lot of concern over production, as we just talked about. And yep. what's your opinion on how that might impact uh, futures moving forward? Oh, uh, yeah. You caught me off guard. The last question I thought you were going to leave me with is, what, what's my line on the Eagles against the Chiefs? Oh, my gosh. Well, then I will <laughs> ask you that later. <laughs> um, I guess I would say, you know, f- from my perspective, um, kind of moving forward on the, you know, on, you know, the, on the cocoa market price wise, we're going to see a range. So it's not going to yeah. clear. It's not all going to be up and it's not all going to be down. But I think. 2300 continues in my opinion to represent very good value so if you see any kind of a retracement down to those levels i think there's there's no reason not to fully cover for the year and start extending into next year 2024 okay um, the upside all along we've been saying probably 2650 2700 um, above that it starts to get feel a little overvalued right now i would say you've got a tug of war taking place between maybe slightly slower um, crop expectations because of the harshness of the harmaton this year, but that will be muted or mitigated by the fact that grind is not looking that good right now. So we're, we're looking very anemic in terms of our, our demand and the, uh, and the overall growth of cocoa grind, grind this year. And I think a lot of people that have these 70,000, 75,000 metric ton deficits may still be a little bit high in terms of their grind forecast. So as they start start to inch those lower, once we get the first quarter grind numbers out, and if they disappoint as well, you may see that deficit narrow a little bit. I think our, you know, McKinney Flavels, our, our own expectation for the deficit for this coming year is right around 30, 40,000 metric tons. So we think 70 okay. is 70 may be a little bit overstated just because people's, you know, what they've plugged in for their grind assumption may be a little bit, uh, a little bit heady, a little aggressive. Excellent. Thank you. And and before we get to your line, I'll just remind uh, everyone out there, and especially if you're a new listener here, uh, we have, as you can see, expertise on the cocoa market, not only from an education standpoint, so in uh, Cocoa 101. So if you're a new buyer to cocoa, uh, reach out to us and we'll get you set up on a one-on-one, but also taking a look at a strategy moving forward and understanding the commercially what's happening uh, in the cocoa market. Cocoa is very volatile and a lot of times funds love it because of its volatility. So that just adds to it. So if you're interested, please reach out to us and we'd be more than happy to help you out. And now, Jeffrey, what's the line? Looking at the official numbers out there, I think it's Eagles by a point and a half. I'm going to say Eagles by seven. Okay. Going for the touchdown. There you go. Well, either way, the Seahawks aren't in it, so <laughs> so I'm just going to enjoy the game. And I'll have to say, you know, I re- I, I subscribe, Jeffrey, to this daily meditation thing. And the guy brought up the Seahawks-Patriots fumble play with throwing the interception in the Super Bowl. And I, I was like, you got to be kidding me. You're going to really bring that up to me. 
Come on. Anyway, uh, everybody have a uh, great weekend. Enjoy your weekend with your friends and family, whether you're watching the Super Bowl or not. As I always like to say, live with an attitude of gratitude. Enjoy every minute, moment. Thank you, Jeffrey. And until our next podcast, take care, everybody. Bye now. That concludes this podcast episode. For expanded commentary and more detailed information, log on to McKinney Favelle's IQ Ingredient Intelligence Platform and listen to our Market Insights podcast. If you're not a subscriber, visit bikini-favel.com for more information. And as always, follow us on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter.